welcome to the Broken Ukulele. And we have with us today Mark Rayner, who is 10 books in, I believe, um, and 11 books. He's a brilliant author. He's a great professor. And uh, I just want to say hi. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to be here. I'm five novels in. Uh, let's see, five novels, a collection of short stories, and I've got I've got four books coming. I'm not sure when exactly, but there's four in uh, two trilogies. And yeah, I'm four into two trilogies. So that'll be soon. You're a busy guy. That's a lot of work. It's um, a compulsion. <laughs> it's, it's a, if you have to write, you got to write. So that, that's, you know, <laughs> that's that's what that is. And you have a, a new one just out. Right. Yeah, so uh, my new book is called Alpha Max. It's an existential romp through an absurd multiverse. So it plays with the idea of multiple realities, which is, I mean, probably the most famous right now is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're, they've got multiple realities. Uh, if you've watched that Spider-Man movie. Not which yet. Was, which played, oh, it's great. It's it's a cartoon, but it's, it's so good. I mean, it's really, really well done. Uh, and it plays with the idea of, of a multiverse, which is just essentially that there's parallel realities. And so that's the book is, is about uh, Maximilian Tundra, who is a recurring character in most of my books. And I just thought, well, why is he always slightly different in every book? And so then I've explained it by saying, well, there's different versions of Max and different versions of reality. And in the book, he's his uh, his discovers that he is needed to save the multiverse. So he has to save Earth, not just our Earth, but every Earth in all the, you know, multiple infinite numbers. When I was writing this book, my brain got broken, I think. <laughs> when you start thinking about infinity in a real way, it is really mind bending. Yeah. Well, it's a never ending job for him then, obviously. Well, does. yeah, exactly. Yeah. How is he going to possibly do it? So it's it's about that. That's the story. It's it's a it's science fiction. It's um, it's actually philosophical in places. I mean, it's called an existential romp because it really does look at the sort of existential questions of of what this really means to be human, to have choices, to be a moral being in a pretty cold multiverse universe, however you want to look at it. Um, so it's got that kind of side to it, too. But then it's also really goofy. Well, kind of what's going on in our world right now. Well, it's it's nice. It's fun, goofy, though, not just scary, goofy. Like the our universe right now is some kind of dark timeline, I think. Like, I think somewhere around 2016, something happened and we went off the nice timeline and now we're on the dark timeline or darker, which is a community reference. If you've never seen community, that's that's they did a great show about that. Yeah, we've been there before. Yeah, uh, we have had dark, pretty dark times before, and and you know we will again. We'll get through it. I mean, that's the thing is we always do. We seem to, so far. <laughs> it's like that's the old joke, right? The guy falling out of the building, and you can hear him as he walks away. Well, so far, so good. <laughs> or again, that Monty Python movie. <laughs> that's right. But I see so many parallels to to the hundred years ago. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? That uh, yeah, we have we have. I can't remember who said it, but um, 
uh, the phrase is um, history doesn't repeat itself, but there are echoes. No, I like that. Which I really like. I, I can't remember who said that though. I wish I remember. Well, someone much smarter if I remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one though. I have to look that up or someone write on in please to us. Um, but uh, I, I look at the, you know, I, I had friends who, friends of my grandparents actually, who were in their young 20s, in the 20s, last 20s. And I used to love hearing the stories um, that uh, they, some Spanish flu stories, um, what it was like waiting for their brothers to come home from war and then they were all sick. Um, they survived the war, they come back to, well, they brought the pandemic with them. Yeah. And, and then there was some really wild good times and then a depression that was worldwide and then uh, World War II. And, uh, and that, that generation are the immensely resilient. There's not a lot of them left anymore. Um, there are, of course, uh, there's none of them left because they'd be in their 120. There's some some around, but um, to talk to someone like that who was a teenager or early 20s in that time, and if they still were cognizant now, and there are some 125-year-olds out there, um, but I look at this generation of our students, I, I keep telling them, you are resilient. You know, I hear online, oh, are we ever going to get married? Or um, <laughs> I'm going, yeah, don't do it. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, you might be dodging a bullet. You never know. Um, <laughs> so I, I agree. I think I think they are resilient. I just but it's when you're young like that, it's really hard to know what you are, frankly, about anything. I mean, you don't really know because you haven't experienced much about life yet. So, uh, I mean, I try to tell my students that too and tell them that they're doing well and they don't necessarily believe me, but they are. I mean, considering what they're facing, it's it's pretty challenging. So when I wrote The Broken Ukulele, it was a three-day slice of life when I decided to facilitate a, a long-term dream of going solo, backcountry in Algonquin Park, to test myself. You know, I had all the camping skills, um, but to do it alone is a different thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and so I had this massively heavy backpack because I didn't <laughs> know enough, plus a ukulele, which I broke in the first hour. Yeah, I read the book. Going up a hill, right? And uh, yeah. so those of you who haven't read it, and I decided, do I have an absolute hissy fit on the side of this hill? Or do I say, well, at least now I don't have to learn concert ukulele chord positions. And so I went with the latter, and, and then that got me thinking, okay, glasses half full or half empty? Half full, definitely. And then I stopped and had a sip of my bourbon. I only brought a small little thing of bourbon, which I did not. Huge mistake. mistake. And then I started thinking about all the advice, little slogans I've been writing every year for years. And, um, and then we continued that a little bit into the broken turtle, a little bit. And then the third book, the broken bicycle blank, uh, which 
I have that trip booked for the middle of May. It's only going 10 kilometers in, and I'm going to try and do it on a bicycle and see what I break and see what uh, also advice I can come up with. So that series has been pre-COVID, during COVID, and post-COVID. But advice to this resilient, brilliant group of kids that we're teaching now, I, I mean, they really blow my mind how smart they are, how caring they are for each other, but as well, um, what advice can we give them so they can get into adulthood at least? <laughs> I mean, they're 30s. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I would have two areas of advice for them, for, for people who are that age. And I, you know, I teach them. I don't have kids myself. So my, my version of having, like, I, I'm Mr. Holland, you know, Mr. Holland's opus. So that's my, that's my version of having kids is teaching them. Um, and I agree. They are, they are more resilient than they think they are. They're, they are quite bright. And the thing that actually that I, I find so astonishing about them is that they are very kind with one another and they're, they're conscientious in a way that I really wasn't when I was 20. I mean, I, I wasn't a bad person, but I wasn't as nice as I could have been. Um, and so I really like that about, about that, this generation that we're talking about. Me too. I guess there's two things that they need to be worried about. One is the environment. I, I don't want to load that on their shoulders, but it's going to affect them more than it's going to affect us because they'll be living with it longer. And if they do want to, if they want to have kids, then their kids are really going to have to live with it. So they need to take care of that. Um, but that's not really what this, what this podcast is about, but I, I, I just have to say it. My current, my current projects are cli-fi, cli climate science fiction. So it's definitely on my mind. What's, what's happening with our environment. Well, what but can then, they do? I mean, one of our Western graduates, Dougal Maudsley, just produced a, a wonderful documentary uh, with Ryan Reynolds as the narrator. I'm just going to look for it here. It's Curb Your Carbon or a play on that, actually. And there's a lot of good advice in there on what we can do individually. But a lot of our students are going into communications either journalism or public relations. And what's your advice to them? What can they do now? Well, I guess they just, what they need to do is they need to get political and they have to be politically engaged because the only way that we change what's happening is to force large corporations to be responsible for their pollution and the carbon that they create. Um, and the only way you can make changes that are big enough for it to be effective is to be political about it. So as much, and that I think is the really big disconnect generationally. They're not politically engaged. They have rejected our political system in a sense. Um, yes. And that's, and that is, it's understandable because I, I get it. I'm there too. Like I'm, I'm sick of, of not nothing ever changing, but the way it, only way it changes is if they do in big enough numbers and they do have the numbers now there's enough young people that can actually have an impact so that's that's the only way that i can see that you can actually have an immediate impact is to get political to get your cohort political and to start to demand the changes that we know we need to make and not to just say oh yeah you got to recycle personally like that's that's not going to do it we know that 
So that would be my advice in terms of if, if you want to do something about this, then yeah, get serious about the politics and start to force change because that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah, I think combined the Gen Zs and Gen Ys have almost almost 50% of the voting block now. I would think that they're very high percentage if, if you include the millennials as well, but for sure. Yeah. Like, and, and I think like I'm a Gen Xer and I would be, I would be on their side probably more than I would be on the side of the boomers. I'm a late, I'm a early, uh, a junior boomer, but I call myself a late boomer. Yeah. I'm doing the stuff yeah. I should have done in my twenties now. <laughs> <laughs> a late bloomer boomer. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be my advice on the politics side and, and the environment side. I think that's something that's uh, going to have to be part of their lives. And then just personal advice. Uh, I wish I had, let's see, how do I put this? I wish I had been more open to constructive criticism at an early age. And that actually is frankly, one of the things I do see in this generation more than I see than I than I experienced with my generation, they do seem to be open to cr- criticism. Um, but for those people who aren't, <laughs> I would say make sure that you are because it really is helpful. If people are trying to help you, um, it's so great to have the opportunity to listen to somebody who's got more experience than you and has has literally experienced the same things you've experienced in terms of you know, career mistakes, or I'm thinking specifically about writing, but, uh, you know, having made mistakes, I mean, most of what I teach my students comes from, I made this mistake, so try not to make this mistake too, because it's, it's, and I always say, don't be afraid of making mistakes, because that's how you learn, but um, if you can listen to criticism and, and avoid some of them, that's also good, because that gets you along farther and faster, than you would otherwise. So I would say that would be one that I would, if I, if I could go back to tell myself that I would say, you know, Mark, you have to find a way to hear this criticism and not as a personal slight, but as advice that's really helpful and that will get you to where you want to go faster. Do you wish you had published earlier or tried to publish earlier in your life? In some ways I do, yes, because I feel like I missed out on the last heydays of the publishing industry because I started so late. But that said, I don't know that I could have written anything decent earlier. Like, I mean, it took me, my first novel, The End of the Day, it, it did actually take me about 10 years to write. Um, no, I, I wrote another whole novel before I wrote that. Actually, I wrote two other whole novels before that. But um, the Amadeus Net was the first thing that I knew I was going to be able to get published. That was good, that it was good enough, um, and it yeah, it took me a long time to write it because I just needed the time to get the skill levels up and to tell the story that I wanted to tell. Um, and again, if I if I had listened to some constructive criticism earlier, that probably would have you know cut a few years off that. I wouldn't have had to do it just brute force on my own. I could have said okay. Um, that's good. But, you know, that's, that was my process and that's what I needed. And um, then I finally got to the point of, you know, having an editor and working with the editor. And then I was able to hear the advice and I was able to, you know, hear the criticism. Uh, Olga still made me cry on several occasions. (laughs) Just really tough Russian editor with no nonsense intellectual. She was fabulous. 
I learned so much about writing from her. She's a professional editor in New York and she just, and, and, and yeah, she was just, she just gave you the truth unvarnished. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there was, there was a few time, a few calls where we're doing the line edit. I would, I would say, okay, thanks. That's, I think I've done it for the day. <laughs> and they have a little drink quietly, brush away a few manful tears from my eyes. <laughs> Don't tell me it was uh, writer's tears. No, it wasn't writer's tears. No, they're actual tears. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I meant writer's tears. Actual writer's tears. Actual. Writer's tears. Great whiskey, by the way. It, it is. I, yeah. um, yeah, Tullamore Dew and, and it, <laughs> I try to give advice to young people on how to learn how to drink whiskey as soon as possible, even though it tastes terrible at first. But, um, Irish whiskey is the best priced whiskey now. Oh, it's and it's I it's actually my favorite whiskey too. Yeah. Like I actually prefer. This is going to seem blasphemous to some of my friends who are Scotch aficionados. I actually prefer Irish whiskey. It's a bit sweeter. It doesn't have the smokiness um, that the Islas have. Oh. Uh, but that's, you know, that said, there's some there's some that I really do like, like that 16 year old Lagavulin. I really do like that whiskey, and I get it. It's um, and there's some Highlands that I love, like Oban is kind of one of my favorite whiskeys. But but yeah, if you from day for you know for day to day use, not that I drink whiskey every day, <laughs> I would never get anything done if I drank whiskey every day. Um, yeah, whiskey Irish whiskey is good. I started drinking it in Ireland. That's how I started drinking whiskey on one of your treks. Yeah. My first trip in Ireland, it was 1990, and I was I was hiking through. So you're talking about hiking, and I was, I was hiking around Ireland. So I, I made it about a third of the way around. I started in a little town called Kinsale in County Cork, and I walked around the coast from Kinsale to Galway. So it's six so weeks. That'd be advice I'd like to give: is get out there and walk. And Salvatore Ambulando. Yeah, just it's get out. solved by walking. Yeah, there's lots of places to walk and oh, yeah, it's a, your back and just go. Um, it's a great way to see the world. I mean, what what's great about walking is that it forces you to go slowly enough that you can take things in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I see people cycling in Ireland. And I'm like, I don't get that. I don't see the point. <laughs> I don't see the point of it because it just looks like really hard. You're on roads the whole time. You don't get to see the coast line that much. Whereas if you're hiking, you get to see all that beautiful stuff. You're going slow enough that you literally meet people as you're walking because yeah. the Irish are very friendly. And uh, yeah, I would say walking is a great way to travel. I, I, that whole year, I did a lot of walking. I hiked in um, I hiked in New Zealand. I hiked in Nepal. Yeah. And then I walked, I walked actually a big chunk of the Welsh coast as well before I got to Ireland. Wow. Well, it's an inexpensive way, right? It It is. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I stayed in hostels and just hiked and I didn't have to spend any money, you know, paying to do anything in the day. Cause I was busy walking. Yeah. And now you can, I mean, some of these freeze dried meals are gourmet and they're a little, you know, six bucks, but you can make them last for two and uh lightweight. So the backpacking, well, my bike packing, I'm going to take my backpack and put it on the back of the bike, basically. Strap it down. I have a sturdy back rack. So in case I break the bike, at least I can still get my Oh, you can walk out of there. I see. Yeah. And just drag the bike or 
it's too expensive to just dump the bike, but I'm, I'm fully anticipating not being on that bike forever. But yeah, when I read your first book, I had some flashbacks. I did a solo hike. Um, I did uh, the, the, the Bruce trail. Yeah. So yeah. I walked from Waterton to Tobermory. I actually did it two summers in a row. Um, and the first time, the first time I did it, I didn't see a soul for some days, couple days. I think it took me eight or 10 days to do it the full, first time. And yeah, I, it was spooky at times. It's like, I really, I haven't seen anybody. And it makes you realize, God, I really better not turn an ankle out here. Cause I could be here for a long time before somebody finds me. Yeah. yeah. Getting one of those little SOS buttons. <laughs> or, well, at least what you were doing was a circuit and fairly heavily traveled. So yeah, I was I wasn't freaking out when I was reading the book about your safety because I knew you were gonna be okay. Well, I, I didn't see anyone on the way in. And uh I heard some people at the end of the lake, and that was it. On the way out, I met some people, uh young people, a lot of solo youngsters doing solo. Mm -hmm. I'm going, wow, these are brave people. And um so this next solo is going to be on the bike, but it's a fairly well-traveled route. Yeah. But I'm going to get that little $100 SOS GPS button that just to have anyway. And Yeah, that's yeah. wise, I think. Yeah, my brother does. My brother does some solo tripping in Algonquin as well, getting tripping. Yeah. And he takes something like that with him. Yeah. yeah well, Actually, I think he's got a satellite phone now. What I'm hoping to lead up to is a solo yeah. canoe. Yeah, he, he, he goes every fall uh at what for a short solo trip and he's he's liking it it's yeah, a good it's time wonderful. to do it as a, as a writer and as a non-writer just to get you to think and it's a great advice get walking yeah walking is fabulous it really is and the thing is you can do it most of your life touch wood so maybe yeah. you can stay healthy you can keep doing it and my brother and I still do that. That's still one of our go-to holidays. Not that we've had one recently, but uh, go to Ireland and strap on a backpack. And we now we now do it the middle-aged way, which is you take a day pack and then you pay a service to move your bags from one one B and B to the next. But it's a great way to it's a great holiday because you, you it's gorgeous landscapes. Um, you stay at these really nice little places, those little villages and stuff along the coastline. You get to meet people. Um, and then, yeah, you, your day is taken up. Like you're, you're walking. That's what you're doing that day. There's no question of like, are we going to see this? Are we going to see that? Well, we're going to see whatever we see on the trail. It's a great, it's a great way to spend, spend a couple of weeks. Well, Mark, thanks so much for coming again. We've had Mark Rayner on us and with us and giving us good advice. Fabulous writer. Read his books. Where, where can you find uh a compilation. Do you have a website? Yeah. I have a website. So Mark A. Rayner, R-A-Y-N-E-R.com, or just go to Amazon. You'll find me there too. And we'll put that link on the yeah. on the, the preceding thing, the little the little title thing. Well, thank you for coming on the broken ukulele. Thanks for having me. Our honor. Thank you, man. Take care. Mm -hmm.